Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. The podcast where three friends chug wine, chat true crime, and unleash their worst Minnesotan accents. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm imitating Amanda imitating me. (laughs) 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 And all of us are in Santorini Skype group mode. Yep. Oh, yeah. Dreaming of the beaches. Yeah. You got to entertain yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. Only boring people get bored. Yeah. Smell the forsythia. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh all right well who I'm, are you oh i'm kenyan <laughs> i'm lucy ah, i'm amanda i'm hooked on a feeling hooked on a feeling <laughs> i have not set foot outside of my house in a week luck it's I had to not go get cat paid. food today. Mm. Pick up my scripts. Luck. <laughs> Luck as Luck. Kenyan's eye twitches. Huh? I need to do something about it. I need yeah. to go for I a need walk. to make it happen. Yeah. Don't you walk your dog? This week I haven't been. I mean, Zach has. Mm-hmm. The dog has been walked. <laughs> just not by you. But just not by me because of yeah. like various appointments at Typical dog walking time. That's fine. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, I took the trash out. Nailed it. That counts. <laughs> winner, winner, also, chicken dinner. There is a lot to be said about fresh air and sunlight. I I'm know. just saying. I know. I think I need to do something about it. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. You're Let's fine. Let's talk about murder. Yes. <laughs> Let's get okay. to the good stuff. So... <laughs> We have a very special fan pick this week brought to you by our very special fan picker, Ashlyn Pereira. Is that how you say that? Yeah, probably. so. Probably. 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 (laughs) Ashlyn has selected the topic of fucked up firsts. Yeah. Yeah. Good one. So like any case where it's the first of something. something. So like the first person... To, you know, be convicted of blank or the first time this technique was used. Sure. First. Ashlyn requested that I do my own case and mm-hmm. I'm super fucking jazzed about it. I'm jazzed to hear a case from you too. Me too. Yeah. And Alex, yes. my storytelling skills. Yeah. Also now looking at the notes, it's making more sense what you texted to the group chat earlier, which was the very odd name of apparently who you're covering today yeah you did not understand my text because i, I specifically no, addressed she, lucy yeah, you super didn't <laughs> you said lucy whatever Who are you, you covering said today? and kenyan's like answered double check that i'm not covering the same thing kenyan answered with who she's covering and i was like yeah <laughs> i'm doing fine you guys my brain is amazing doing fine yeah who needs to go outside God. Okay. Let's get to the alcohol. Amanda, what is our (laughs) wine crime pairing for fucked up first? 
Well, our fan picker recommended Canadian whiskey today. Apparently, they want to see us in pain. (laughs) So I have uh, looked up what I literally just Googled Canadian whiskey cocktails Mm -hmm. and found something called the Canadian cocktail. I have no idea if this is an actual traditional cocktail of Canada. I just went with the first thing that I knew I could drink without vomiting. Okay. It's a good bar to clear. Yep. That's what we're keeping expectations low. And something that I could make with what I have in my home and on my bar. So we are using the requested devil's brown spit (laughs) whiskey. I hate, I hate whiskey. I can't do brown liquor. It immediately gives me fucking heartburn, which is why I did a cocktail with it so -hmm. that I could like get through it. The, um, the name of the whiskey is the Devil's Brown Spit. No, I just call no, it. No, that. that's oh. like what we why we call by Joe the Devil's Semen. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, it got just it. is. Got yeah. it. it just is. But the actual whiskey that I use is Crown Royal because I guess I didn't pay attention, even though it says it on the bottle that it's Canadian. Duh. All right. Duh. Um, and that's what I had in my bar, so that's what I went with. And the cocktail is made up of one and a half ounces of Canadian whiskey. A half ounce of orange liqueur. So mm-hmm. I always have um, Grand Marnier. It's like my mm-hmm. favorite sipper. Um, mm-hmm. A half ounce of lemon juice. I actually did have a lemon from my Imperfect Foods box. So I use real lemon juice. Score. Um, and a teaspoon of simple syrup, which is just sugar and water. So you can easily whip that up yourself. Um, and one dash of bitters, which a long time ago, a friend of mine, hi, James, you might be listening, made their own bitters and gave mm. me a bunch of it. So I had a little bit on my bar. Ooh. And then what all you do is you put it in a cocktail shaker filled with ice. You pour the whiskey, the liqueur, the juice, the simple syrup and the bitters. You shake it and then use the strainer to pour it into. It says an old fashioned glass. I poured it into a mug because I'm classy. And yesterday when we recorded, you poured your wine into a salt you're dead, which would have I been know. perfect for this. Which means that's the only like that's the only rocks glass I appropriate rocks glass I own, and it's dirty because I used it yesterday. So now mm-hmm. I used a mug because I was like, Canada. Would you want this over ice? Cause Canada? You shake it on ice, but you serve it without ice so that the ice doesn't oh. melt in it and water it down. Oh, okay. So it's still served cold, but it's served, like, up. I could picture it with, like, one of those, uh, like, an ice sphere. Yeah, like a, you like totally one of those, could do that if like you have, like, a big one. Yeah, mm-hmm. and if you prefer it on the rocks, then fucking serve it on the rocks. Who cares? But yeah. I'm a really, like, slow cocktail drinker, so I actually like not having my drinks on the rocks. Mm-hmm. But uh, And then I garnish it with a blood orange that also came in my imperfect box. Hell yeah. And also, Cute. today I learned... That this is a horse and not a unicorn. I have had this mug for like four years and just always assumed it was a unicorn, but there's no horn on it. I can't see it because of the Santorini background. Because we're in Santorini. Oh, oh all right. Fine. All right. We'll take <laughs> Either your way, word for it. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Squeeze this in, actually. I like a whiskey cocktail. You do. It's I'm fun. drinking mine out of a vintage we'll get- nice pop. Oh, that pop. was the first version of the nice pop mm-hmm. cup. This is one of our first merch items. Mm -hmm. This blood orange is tasty. All right. Well, cheers. 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 All right. Lucy, no background in psych. We got a case. That's good. That's good. (laughs) Should I shake my bones? Yeah. Yeah, shake them. I just got to leave them out. I don't know why I ever put them away. (laughs) Woo! 
It'll make me laugh when I'm drinking a whiskey cocktail. <laughs> it's good for your sinuses. This is going to be a really rough episode. <laughs> it's antiseptic. <laughs> <laughs> I had a dream that I was shipping a bunch of random shit to our merch team in New Jersey at All Colors. Shout out mm-hmm. to Corey Hillman. And for some reason, I had like Lysol wipes in there. And they were like, you can't send these through the mail. They're flammable. It was like, how did I get them in the first place? I don't know. I definitely didn't leave my house. They were definitely mailed to me. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, everyone loves hearing about other people's dreams. Okay, here we go. They do. Myself included. (laughs) Okay. So Ernest P. Pletch was born in 1910 in Frankfurt, Indiana. His father, named Guy. Guy He was just a guy. Guy Pletch. Oh, no. Wow. He was a wealthy farmer and a county Republican legislator. And so the family had pretty good money. He was, he wanted for nothing. Okay. As a teenager, Ernest Pletch was a good, a, a pretty good mechanic. He's been described as like a genius at mechanics. Okay. So he liked to tinker with cars and tractors and invent some things rather than pulling his weight with farm duties. Like, kind of a brat, we'll just say. A little tinkerer. He didn't like to do his chores. He didn't like to do his chores. Yeah. He liked, he didn't like the, the manual labor business. He was also really into airplanes, as many interwar young men were around this time of Charles Lindbergh. Mm-hmm. Charles Lindbergh, handsome airplane fascist. Planeman. Planeman. Planeman fascist. Aero- fascist aeroplaneman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Pletch later said, quote, I've always been crazy about flying. I would rather fly than eat. Mm-hmm. He was also reading a lot of books about airplanes and sort of uh, starting to teach himself how to fly. He was just really fucking into it. We didn't do the same case, but it's super funny that this is your case. I'm glad we didn't do this. We didn't. We didn't. (laughs) Okay, good. Okay. We'll get to it. In 1926, at the age of 16, he was while he was still in school, Pletch asked his father to buy him an airplane. As you do. Okay. No big deal. Request received (laughs) and ignored. Yeah, that's when your parents are like, here's a kite. Can you just... (laughs) Just go. Be happy with what what you have. Make sure to run real fast. (laughs) There's a hill over there. To make her fly. Judging from your farm duties experience, like, you haven't earned a fucking plane. I'm sorry. What's Mm -hmm. the craziest thing you ever asked for from your parents? A microscope. I never got it. (laughs) You should have. That would have been. You should get. Honey, get yourself a microscope now. Well, now I want a rock tumbler. (laughs) What? I would rather have a rock tumbler now. Agreed. I have a friend with a rock tumbler. He makes cool stuff. I don't know what that is. It like you put rocks in it and it tumbles them to make them (laughs) smooth and shiny and like reveal their colors and stuff. Anytime you have a smooth rock like this. Or like this. It's been through a rock tumbler. This or like this. Or the ocean. (laughs) No, 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 no. But the ocean doesn't make it glossy like a rock tumbler does. Well, you can't see me. We're in Santorini. But these are tumbled rocks. Everyone's going to think we're actually in Santorini. We're not. (laughs) And that's on them. Sky background. We're really not. (laughs) That's super on you if you think we're actually in Santorini. I haven't gotten (laughs) organic vitamin D in a long time. (laughs) It is all in pill form. (laughs) <laughs> okay. That's fair. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so justifiably, his father was like, um, no. Mm -hmm. But also, like, not flat out no. He just said, you're going to have to finish high school before Uh, I buy you an airplane. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And apparently, then I'll buy you an airplane. This was too much for Pletch. Mm. He got pissed. He dropped out of school. He married his girlfriend, and he ran away to join the circus. Wow. (laughs) What? Drama king. Teenagers. (laughs) Wait, well, he demanded an airplane, and when he didn't get one, he dropped out of school, married his girlfriend, and joined the circus? Well, he didn't join the circus right away, and actually, it's not, like, technically a circus, but that was, like, too good of a sentence to say. But his girlfriend was, like, 15 or 16 at the time. He definitely dropped out of school. He definitely married her, and he definitely ran away, and then he later joined something adjacent to a circus. It counts. Hmm. It counts. So he spent about nine years probably working as a mechanic, but he was definitely estranged from from his family during this time. And no one really knows like what he was doing or where he was doing it in this time span. But it was about nine years. Also, I couldn't find any word on what happened to his child bride, but at some point, it, within this time, the two split up, which oh, it like, didn't shocker. work out when mm, they no. got married, and I'm she was shocked. fifteen, and then he joined the circus. Uh, oh, yeah. it didn't work out. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! What a shame! Wow! You don't say. <laughs> I thought that love would last forever. <laughs> Color me shocked. <laughs> So in early 1938, Pletch got a job with a traveling fair. Here we go, the circus. But uh, keep in mind, this was like nine years later. Um, that happened to feature air shows and offer short plane rides to fairgoers. Okay. Here's a quote from Smithsonian Magazine. Quote, this was no ordinary job and Pletch was working with no ordinary fair. His employer was the Royal American Shows an enormous traveling fun fair that toured through the United States and Canada for nine months each year, billing itself both as, quote, the most beautiful show on earth um, and as the proud possessor of the world's largest midway. So it's like a big traveling fair deal. What is a midway? Just like the area where the fun fair exists? The the midway is where all the, it's like the main thoroughfare where all the games and the People mm. shouting are. Okay. Got it. Food games, stuff like that. The attractions that Pletch would have worked alongside include girly shows that featured the likes of Gyp- Gypsy Rose Lee, not to be confused with Gypsy Lee Rose. Mm-hmm. Hmm. When the fair traveled, it did so using its own special train, which at its peak consisted of almost 100 carriages. So it was like fucking big. That is fucking big. Just mm-hmm. rumbling through North America. Mm-hmm. Yep. Putting people on airplanes. Pitching tents wherever they pleased. Dang. He loved watching the pilots do their thing, and this only deepened his desire to fly airplanes. In 1938, he decided that he had learned all he could about flying from books and watching others fly planes. And Got so it he all. took it. Yeah. So he took it upon himself to get some real hands on experience. He returned to Frankfurt, Indiana, his hometown, and in the middle of the night, he stole an airplane and safely flew it 75 miles. 
He says, quote, it was the first time I ever I had ever been at the controls. The boys said it couldn't be done. I took off in that plane at three o'clock in the morning and flew it to Danville, Illinois, and landed it in a seven acre field. He didn't want to get (laughs) right. (laughs) Literally. (laughs) He didn't want to get caught with the stolen airplane, so he continued flying another 155 miles to Vernon, Illinois, where he fully pretended to be a freelance pilot and offered lessons to paying customers. So he just stole the airplane and made it his business now. Yep. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Did he know the airplane owner? He must have. If it was back in his hometown, he must he have like known. Prob- he probably knew that there, like this guy owned a plane, and the plane would be in his barn, and blah blah blah. Right. But wow, but <laughs> yeah. the audacity, Harry Potter, and the audacity of this bitch of, mm-hmm. of this pledge <laughs> of this pledge. Uh, I pledge it- allegiance to this pledge <laughs> of the United and Pledge of Amer- prob- Pledge. <laughs> Probably didn't know it was him because he hadn't been home in nine years. You know, maybe. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, well, we'll get to it. But the authorities are aware that this airplane was stolen. They had no idea who took it at this time. Mm. But things are going to fall apart at some point. Go figure. They always do. Yeah. So he's giving like he's a freelance pilot giving little lessons to like whoever. And one of his customers was... He's flown it twice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) With no other hands-on training. The balls on this dude. I can't. Yeah. So one of his customers was a 17-year-old girl named Goldie Gherkin. Love her. (laughs) She's amazing. No notes. (laughs) Love her. Everything about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I should also note here that Pletch was at this time going by the name Larry Thompson. And he also okay. claimed he was 24 years old when in reality he was 29. So he's like fully hiding from the authorities. Yeah. But also, and like, also like flying planes and probably whatever. flirting with a 17 year old when he's pushing 30. Pletch's sketch. Oh, Pletch's <laughs> sketch. <laughs> <laughs> because he is 29 and she is 17. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he quickly fell in love with Goldie. Ish. And the no, pair you didn't. And the pair spent the next five days flying around and just smooching, falling Ugh. in love, whatever. I hate that journey. It for was them. an aerial romance. Sitting in a plane. Ish. Mm-hmm. S M O O C H I N G. Hate it. On the fifth day of their romance pletch asked goldie to marry him and she refused so he just dropped her off in a random field and flew away okay i um super love her she's <laughs> <laughs> like nah it's a, like so one of the articles was like he left her under a tree in a cow pasture and just flew away my what god a fucking oh. piece of shit but also i love the fact that she just was like no. 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 I like the status quo. I have of, to wash of, my hair. Of the flying and, and the making out, but I don't need anything more. Right. Yeah, we have a good thing. I'm like, good. why ruin why it? Why complicate it? Yeah. <laughs> why complicate it? Yeah. I'm just like not really into labels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love her. I 
fucking love Goldie Gherkin. I love I want to date a pilot. I don't want to marry a pilot. Yeah, I don't want to be a pilot's wife. No. <laughs> yeah, I want to be a pilot. Mm-hmm. It's not what I imagined for myself. Also, like, just think of, like, how brave she must have been to, like, in the 30s at 17, be like, yeah, I'm going to learn to fly a plane. There were, like, 14 people that could fly planes at this time, and she was a woman. We'll get and- to it. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I don't even know if she was really, like, all about, f- like, learning no. how to fly. I think she just was like, ooh, there's a cute guy who's going to take me up in this plane. Mm-hmm. Well, she was And then customer. it was five days later. Yeah. I mean, it's a very loose business plan that he had. Right. So meanwhile, Goldie's parents had been frantically searching for their daughter, and when she was finally found safe, they were so relieved that they declined to press charges against Pletch. Mistake. And actually, Always Pletch charges. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, her mother said, quote, <laughs> the young man touch, took such good care of our daughter. No, he didn't. He abandoned her in the yeah. middle of nowhere where she didn't know where she was and she was alone. It was yeah, the he 30s. Soups did not take good care of your I'm daughter. not defending any of this. Oh, well, we know you're not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so fortunately. He raped your daughter with his yeah. mouth. With his mm. pletch mouth. Ick. Probably something. So fortunately, the cops had a different take on things. And Pletch was tracked down, arrested, and charged with theft for the airplane. He was then freed on bond to await trial, after which he was definitely going to be found guilty. So he was anticipating some jail time. That's important to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. And that was the theft of the well, the airplane that he was flying that whole time, the one from Frankfurt. Mm-hmm. And the press got wind of this story and were, dubbed him the Flying Romeo. So the press has always been garbage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, up until this point, all he's done is steal an airplane and have a romantic five-day a kidnapping sort of situation of a child when he's almost 30. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like I said earlier, his first child bride sort of disappeared into the annals of history, but uh, also somewhere in there, he had a second wife and also a second divorce. Um, It's kind of hard to keep track because this dude is extremely slippery and he Mm. tells a lot of lies. Mm -hmm. Um, Plus it was, the 30s so yeah yeah the 60s make up different names Mm -hmm. yeah yeah there's no database of anything so it's just like yeah i know that guy oh larry thompson ernest pletch same guy cool yeah yep so we can be almost certain though that while he was out on bond he rejoined the royal american shows and it was and that it was the carnival that took him to missouri where in September 1939, he married Francis Bales of Pal- Palmyra, Missouri. So, wife Another number Another child bride? Wow. Uh, no, I don't think she was a child. But still, I mean, this is his third wife and he's like 29, maybe 30 years old. Right. Okay. So, we think that she met him at the fair. But regardless, they quickly married and she left him just a few days after their wedding. Wow. Some reports say that he like tried to rob her and she ran away. But ev- e- regardless, she she left. Okay, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit of an annulment there, hopefully. Well, technically, yeah. No, I don't think. I mean, technically, no. Okay. In the thirties, I don't know. About a month after she left, he borrowed a car to go search for his missing wife. 
Pletch ended up in Brookfield, Missouri, where he met a pilot named Carl Bivens. Isn't Bivens the name of the... Um, Blevers. Blevers. Okay. The roommate's boyfriend. <laughs> oh, in- Bevers. 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 Oh, Bevers. Yeah. Bivens, Bevers. It's, it's all fine. the same. What a great character. Though. I love Bevers. To complete Kenyon's sentence, it's the Abby's roommate's boyfriend in Broad City. And yep. I just cut her off because I knew what she was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> this is Bivens. That's Bevers. Got it. And there's a picture of Bevers or <laughs> Bivens on the drive. <laughs> there's a picture That's of him on the drive now. standing in front of uh, his airplane. And he just looks like a normal dad dude. He's so yeah, nice. With odd posture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Bivens was 39 years old, and he had a wife named Etta and two sons. I don't know the first son's name, but the other son was named Russell. So Bivens was offering flying lessons in a yellow Taylor Club monoplane that he had borrowed from a friend. I also have a photo, which will be on the blog, of the airplane, so you can kind of have a picture in your mind of what this plane looks like. On either October 27th or 28th, I have conflicting reports kind of bizarre considering what happened on this day. Um, In 1939, Pletch asked Bivens to give him some advanced flying lessons because after all, he's a professional fucking pilot. I only want advanced lessons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this fucking guy. I know. He's got some balls. This also just so happened to be the week before Pletch was due in court for that theft of that first airplane for which he was Mm -hmm. out on bond. So he's out mm-hmm. on bail, and he's like, yeah, I'm just going to keep flying. So I just like, yes. want these professional lessons. Yep. Okay. Yep, yep, yep. So uh, Pletch and Bivens had two lessons in a row, but the weather was really perfect. It was a beautiful day, very clear skies. So Pletch asked for a third lesson that same day in the late afternoon. They took off at about 4 p.m. So they they were sitting in this uh, tandem training plane so Pletch was in the back seat. Bivens was in the front seat. Um, both seats had controls, so it was kind of like a driver's ed car. Okay. So you could you could fly from either seat, but I think the front seat would probably take over if needed. It you would know like what I mean? override right. if the mm-hmm. back seat was fucking up. Yep. So after about 40 minutes, when they reached 5,000 feet, without warning, Pletch pulled a 32 revolver from his front overalls pocket and shot Blevins in the back of the head. What? What the fuck? Mm-hmm. Quote, Carl was telling me that I had a natural ability and that I should follow that line. Pletch later confessed to prosecutors in Missouri. I had a revolver in my pocket and without saying a word to him, I took it out of my overalls and I fired a bullet into the back of his head. He never knew what struck him. The ship, meaning the airplane, The ship began to pitch and then to dive. It went crazy. And I remembered reading about a dying man stiffening at the controls. And then I fired another shot into the back of his head. So he shot him twice in the back of his head. And according to him, the second shot was to to kill him completely so that his body would stop like seizing and fucking up the controls so he could pull the airplane out of a nosedive. This is... I am, so crazy. I Why am, did he shoot him in the first place? I am shook. Yeah. It's so, so bizarre this and is, unwarranted. Is this the first airplane shooting? The hostile so hijacking? The story hijacking. I'm telling you now is the first fatal airplane 
hijacking in the world, but also the first airplane hijacking in the U.S.? I mean, of course, both of those things would just be like some shitty white guy in in the United States. Yeah, just some fucking sociopath (laughs) white guy. Like, I'm so not surprised by that at all. There's also people who can afford airplanes. Right. In only very few countries at this time. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. <gasps> so that yeah. is just fucking because, nuts. Just because he wanted to fly the plane or he wanted to own this plane now? Because he's he's so self-centered, he's never been told no and been able to accept it. Like, remember, wow. he asked his dad to buy him an airplane and his dad said, not now. And he was like, fuck you. I'm out. And then I'm going to eventually go steal one. I'm going to pretend I'm a pilot. I'm going to mm-hmm. marry whoever the fuck I want. I'm going to go wherever I want, whenever I want. Wow. He's insane. Yeah. So Pletch then, wow. like I said, managed to straighten out the plane at about 1,500 feet. So they, they he was in a nosedive for a while. Yeah, he almost fucking crashed. Quite dramatic. Mm-hmm. And then he landed the aircraft in a cow pasture near Cherry Box, Missouri. He pulled Bevan's Bevan's. Why do I? I think I spell it differently like four different times. Bivens. He pulled Bivens' body out and dumped it in a nearby thicket after taking Bivens' watch and several hundred dollars. That would also be so fucking hard to solve if, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, it's 1939 and there's just this totally unidentified man's body right. in a thicket in an area that he has no connection Business to. Business being, yeah. I mean, we'll get to it. He, okay. Yeah, we'll get to it. The fact that he, that Bivens was a straight, straightforward, legit pilot offering lessons, mm-hmm. other people must have seen him giving lessons to Pletch on this day in that particular airplane That's because true. it didn't take him very long to find him. Right. The airplane part I, would be easier to solve, but just finding that body. Yeah. Finding the body. Yeah, they found the body actually really quickly, but they also had like search parties spread out over like the entire surrounding counties. Right. Mm-hmm. And they hadn't actually gone that far because their lessons were kind of taking them in the same general area. Okay. They were just lessons. So they were probably staying within like a few okay miles, you know. Right. Huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he dumped the body. He took off again, heading toward his hometown of Frankfurt, Indiana. He stopped and spent the night somewhere in a barn between where he was and his hometown. And then he took off again in the morning. He initially said that he was just going to fly over his parents' house to, quote, wave at them. But later <sighs> said, quote, I flew to Frankfurt with the intention of smashing the plane into the side of my father's barn. But I lost my nerve. So he claims that initially this was sort of a suicide mission. He was just going to, it was like a final fuck you to his dad. Wow. Was he just completely unraveling because this third wife, not blaming her, she clearly did the right thing. But because this third wife left him after a couple days and he was like, no one can say no to me. I'm going to kill someone mm. and steal a plane and smash it into my father's barn. Maybe. I don't have a lot of insight into like what was going on in his head. But just, I mean, we can speculate further at the end because things continue to get weird. Like up until the very end. Oh, my God. Okay. I don't, I don't know that it was so much like a 
like a revenge in terms of his wife. He seemed to come and to kind of come by a wife every few years and just oh my god <laughs> they grow on trees he had he a, lot of, he he had had a court, lot of wives he had the court case pending that's probably what it yes. was he did have the he I had forgot the, about that he had the court case pending and he didn't mm. want to go to prison so he was trying to escape and then he was like but I could give my dad the big middle finger but then like he didn't end up doing that either okay wow so, he ended up flying across Indiana with no clear direction until it started to get dark and he knew he had to land soon because he couldn't fly that plane in the dark. He ended up landing in a pasture belonging to Meredith Dillman in Clear Creek, Indiana. Six-year-old Bobby Joe Logston and his seven-year-old brother Jimmy heard the plane and they got really fucking excited because they, they, they too we're obsessed with airplanes. It was just like this mm. early it's 20th century scene in Pearl Harbor with mm-hmm. Josh Hartnett and what's his name? They're all pointing to the ben sky. Affleck. They just they they love airplanes. And I yeah. do have a picture of uh Bobby and Jimmy and um their family. It was just really cute. So it kind of gives you an idea of the times. Mm-hmm. So now 76 years old, Bobby recalls, quote, my brother and I were crazy about aviation. I never saw or heard an airplane fly that low before, and it was real exciting. Mm -hmm. But something even more exciting was about to happen. I I heard the pilot cut his engine, and then he landed in the field right behind our house. Jimmy and I wanted to go over there and just touch the pilot, but our father <laughs> wouldn't let us go. Oh, well, yeah. Oh. They just got so excited. <laughs> yeah. He just wanted to touch the pilot. Oh, my God. Come on, Dad. Let us touch the pilot. No, honey, no. By the time the, the plane like landed and stopped, there were quite a few people gathered when Pletch hopped out of the plane And they saw that the front of his overalls were covered in blood. Mm, He told mm -hmm. them that he had just gotten a a nosebleed from the altitude. Okay. Which, like, who? Well, at the time, they they wouldn't know. know. Yeah, they don't know. Mm. He asked if there was somewhere nearby to get something to eat. So a group of older boys led him downtown to the Williams and Wampler General Store. (laughs) 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 How is this? Names make no sense in this whatever universe we used to exist in. I know. Williams and Wampler. And this general store had a hot bar in the back where they could sell like burgers and sandwiches and coffee and sodas and stuff like that. I also feel like there was always a group of older boys. Right. There were like two younger boys named Jimmy and Bobby. Yep. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then a group of older boys that actually got to do the cool stuff and Jimmy and Bobby were devastated. Mm -hmm. Yep. Jimmy and Bobby had to be home for dinner. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. So by now, the police were looking for Pletch. Like I said, they knew he was in a small yellow airplane and they had sent out bulletins like across the state. This might be my favorite part. Bertha Manor, or maybe Manor, age 54, was the town's switchboard operator. Mm-hmm. And you don't so she fuck knows with everything. a small town yeah. switchboard <laughs> operator. She knows she fucking knows, everything. She's an oracle. She yeah. fucking knows yeah. what's going on. She's yeah. got the tea. Yeah. My grandma was a switchboard <laughs> operator. That makes That's, perfect sense. Yep. I was <laughs> tracks. Fabulous photo of her just at her little desk with her big hair. Oh, my God. So good. So she 
heard this bulletin or she heard something on the radio and she also heard from her switchboard shit. There was a yellow plane that landed like a few blocks over. Mm. So she immediately called the police and had the police called down to Williams and Wampler general store. <laughs> I'll never recover from Williams and Wampler. I Wampler. won't recover. <laughs> Call over at Womp's place. Yeah. <laughs> Head down to Womp's. Okay. So this is as Bobby, again, now 76 at the time, six years old. This is his recollection. Quote, the phone rang and Bill Wampler answered it because, of course, Wampler mm-hmm. the family owned. The deputy on the phone instructed Bill to say only yes or no in response to his questions. I would hmm. fail at that so hard. Yep. Yeah. Oh, this guy was so fucking smooth. This mm-hmm. is the best. So the deputy asked if the pilot was there. Bill says yes. Then if Bill could stall him, but not to do anything foolish because the man was dangerous. Because, again, the police knew that he had a thirty-two caliber pistol on him. Mm-hmm. Bill was frying the hamburgers for the pilot. He was a nervous, jittery kind of guy, but he just scooted the burgers over to the cool part of the grill so they wouldn't cook so fast, Mm -hmm. therefore biding some time. Like it. I like it. I thought that was so smart. I would lose my gourd. I I wouldn't be able to do that. I would not be very cool in that situation. I'd be like, yeah, he's here. Oh, (laughs) shit. Oh, God. What are the cops coming? I'm scared. <laughs> I, I would try so hard and fuck it up so quickly. Yeah. He's, yeah yes, yeah. he's in the room right now. I'm looking right at Do you want to talk to him? Here he is. There oh, he yeah, goes. Here he is. Over his overalls. Here you comes mean, the boy. You mean the bloody guy with the gun? <laughs> uh-huh, got him on the line. God. I'm grilling his burger right now. You want to talk to him? <laughs> Extra so, onions. Ugh. So within minutes, police had surrounded the store and Pletch calmly gave himself up. Um, This is a quote from Bloom Magazine, which I think is Bloomington, Illinois magazine, because Clear Creek was right outside of Bloomington, Indiana, not Illinois, Indiana. Quote, after his arrest, Pletch was held at the Monroe County Jail where he denied shooting Bivens, although the 32 caliber revolver he carried was the same type of gun as the murder weapon. Also, he, you're the only other person in the airplane with him, bruh. Uh, yeah. He, he, tr- he tested out a bunch of different bullshit lies before eventually confessing. But mm-hmm. um, so he then concocted a story that he and Bivens had agreed to steal the plane and fly to Mexico in order to test Pletch's invention of extremely high efficiency aviation fuel. Yeah. Because again... Pletch was like, it was for science. Well, Pletch was like big into uh, mechanics and whatever. And he was like a self-described inventor. And this will kind of come back in a little bit, too. So he fancied himself a whole lot of things. And Mm -hmm. an inventor was one of them. Right. But also Bivens doesn't need to steal his own airplane. Right. Well, his friend's airplane. But yeah. He claimed that he shot Bivens in self-defense during a mid-air fight after Bivens tried to back out of the plan. And keep in mm. mind, that's not the way that this that yeah. this tandem <laughs> tandem airplane mind. situation, like Pletch is directly behind Bivens. Mm-hmm. There's no way that Bivens would be like, you know what? Fuck this guy. I'm going to overtake you from 180 degrees behind me in a tiny fucking airplane. It makes mm-hmm. no sense. 
No. So, like, this was obviously bullshit. Yeah. So that story was later discounted by Missouri police and, like, logic. From Bloomington, Pletch was quickly transported to Indianapolis where his parents were allowed to see him. His mother told him, try to make your peace with God. That's the only thing left. Oh, his parents were over it. Cold uh, as <laughs> ice. Holy yeah. shit. Wow. Yep. I mean, my mom's been mad at me before, but whoa. She's yeah. never been trying to make your peace with God mad God at God mad. Yeah. Because that's the only thing left. Oh, oh. Wow. It's real brutal. Yeah. So I mean, he was turned, fair, but. Oh, totally fair. He was turned over to Missouri officials and went on trial for theft and first degree murder. Evidently, he told one of the prosecuting attorneys, quote, I just don't know why I killed him, but I did. Okay. So Thanks. throughout this trial, there's like a whole lot of hubbub about jurisdiction in this case in particular because it took place in an airplane and no one could be certain, not even Pletch, because he didn't have any experience with like navigation. Right. So nobody knew over which county the murder took place. They couldn't even be 100% sure what state it took place over. Okay. So like this was also one of the first trials where like airspace jurisdiction oh, was sort yeah. of brought up. That makes sense. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Yep. Weird. So wow. nevertheless, Pletch pled guilty and was convicted for theft and first degree murder. Etta Bivens, so the pilot's wife, however, literally saved Pletch's life. She oh. made him promise never to seek to a pardon. She, she made, made him, him Pletch. To never seek a pardon or parole in exchange for asking the judge not to give him the death penalty. Mm. That's very nice of her, but I would not fucking trust this man to uphold that deal. Well, I think it was like a court or like a public. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was like a it was like a legal thing. I you know, it it was life without the possibility of parole Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or pardoning. Pletch began serving his life sentence just five days after Bivens murder. But here's the last twist. Poor Etta did not intend for what happened next. Oh, oh please don't sh- tell me she married him. No. Thank God. <laughs> okay. Uh, why are you saying it like that? Oh, I don't <laughs> well, like this. Here we go. First of all, while in prison in 1948, remember, he's the self-proclaimed inventor, Pletch was granted a U.S. patent for an invention called Traction Increasing Device for Dual Wheel Vehicles. So he okay. invented shit while he was in prison, okay. which seems unfair to me. Okay. Even more unfair, Pletch was released for good behavior after less than 20 years behind bars. Mm. Yeah. So he was released in 1957. After just shooting a man in cold blood. Yeah. yeah. For good behavior. I don't get it. Just because you behave well in prison doesn't mean you're going to behave well out of prison. Mm-hmm. Nope. You know it's what I bullshit. mean? It's, it's just the bullshit. we've said it before. Like the sentencing should just be transparent. What it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it should mm-hmm. just be like if you think that twenty years is an appropriate amount of time for his crime, then it's then he should be sentenced to twenty years. And then like it should just why is it always why are mm-hmm. we always finagling? I don't know. We don't need to make it harder it. than it already is. Yeah. I don't get it. So records show that he purchased a new ranch-type house on Lake of the Ozarks. And more egregiously, you guys are going to scream. 
He worked as a fucking pilot for Cox Aviation after his release. This is like fucking, I feel like we always come across cases like this where it's basically Frank Abagnale from Catch Me If You Can. Yep. With all, I mean, murder. With murder. Yeah. At least that guy didn't fucking kill anybody. Oh my fucking God. How was he allowed to be a pilot? I don't know. that He was never actually a pilot. No, he never was. (laughs) Never. Did he have to Good at least get God. his pilot's license? Or were they just like, yeah, you've flown before. He, he went to jail for it. I mean. Remember? Pardon the pun, but he flew so under the radar after his release that it took like a special investigation. And this information I took from that Smithsonian Magazine article, because I trust it, this mm-hmm. is the only article that said he didn't die in prison. Everybody wow. else assumed that he did because of his sentencing. But there's there are records that he was released for good behavior in 57 and that he did X, Y, and Z after he left. The fuck? So he also married a woman named Mary Leap the day after Christmas in 1973. He died in June 2001 and is buried in Camdenton, Missouri, next to yet another wife named Avis. So wow. he had he had at least four wives. Five. Possibly more. He left behind a total of 16 grandchildren and 22 great-grandchildren. And that is the story of the first airplane hijacking in the U.S. and the first ever fatal airplane hijacking in the world. That is nuts. That was a wild ride. Can you even? Thanks for landing it safely home. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. Wow. Oh, <laughs> that was a doozy. That was a doozy. I found it and I was like, oh, this could be interesting. And then I kept reading 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 and then I kept reading. I was like, oh, God. I was fucking That's good. Nuts. Yeah. Just Shyamalan twist. Yeah. All right. Well, well done. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsors and then we'll do another case. Let's All do right. it. So I've had acne. My whole life. <laughs> from the womb. Uh, from the, like literal baby acne into your 30s acne. And there are so many things I just did not understand about skin, about like my acne is mostly hormonal around my period. I'll have like really nice clear skin in between. I also did not understand how much your skin changes with like seasons, with age, with hormonal changes. It's all a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to juggle. And ever since I discovered and gave myself over to Curology, my breakouts have been so much fewer and farther between. It's amazing. And I feel like approaching my menstrual cycle is not as much of a doomsday prepper situation as it once was. (laughs) We all love our Curology. So Curology is a game-changing custom skincare made for you by a dermatology provider. They'll create a custom prescription cream for your specific goals, whether that's tackling acne, clogged pores, skin texture, dark spots, fine lines, or something else. Dryness. All of it. Ugh. You'll start by taking a short online skin quiz and uploading photos, and if it's a good fit, they'll ship your formula right to your door. It even has your name on the bottle. It's it is, amazing. It's legit. It's cure. I mean, it's specifically for you. So the quiz takes just a couple of minutes. 
And it wasn't until I was doing the quiz, I was like, oh my gosh, I have a lot more issues with my skin than I <laughs> kind even of know. even realized. <laughs> yep. And they sent me this bottle. I've been using Curology for, I think, over two years now. And I get compliments on my skin, like, kind of regularly. Like, just mm -hmm. the other day, somebody asked me what moisturizer I use. Yeah. And I told her, Curology. Curology, honey. Mm -hmm. And now she's on the train. She loves it. I love the moisturizer. It's so light. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like a gel, sort of. Yeah. I have it's, two different ones. There's like a day moisturizer for under your makeup and a night one. It's mm, amazing. Mm-hmm. It's just so lightweight. It does not clog. It keeps my skin really moisturized, even in the wintertime when it is so dry here mm -hmm. in the upper Midwest. Mm-hmm. And then every once in a while, you send progress pictures to that dermatology provider, and they can be like, oh, my gosh, this is working, or maybe we could switch to this, or blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah, and... It's made specifically for you. It could not be better. We are in love with it. You've got to try it. Yes, you do. So get started with Curology just like we did with a free 30-day trial at Curology.com slash gals. Just pay $5 for shipping and handling. That's C-U-R-O-L-O-G-Y dot com slash gals to start your free 30-day trial. You can cancel anytime. Prescriptions subject to consultation and treat your skin. Treat it. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. What could be better? You can skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that is why it is America's number one meal kit. It's seriously so great. I love it. You can warm yourself up from the inside out when it's like, you know, yeah, it's March, but it's still very cold here. They have limited time recipes inspired by cozy classics from around the world like beef tenderloin and cheese fondue. Uh... Uh-huh. <laughs> oh or miso, sesame, shrimp, and bacon ramen. Yes, please. Things I would just never think to make uh, myself. Like, by the time I'm hungry, I'm too hungry to think about what to cook. That's why HelloFresh is so amazing. And another thing I love about HelloFresh is they offer the flexibility you need to easily customize your order online or in the app. So you can easily change your delivery day, your food preferences, your plan size. You can skip a week whenever you need to. Like, it's incredible. They have such a huge array of recipes. You're never going to get sick of it. It's not like they're sending you the same stuff every week, every month. You know, you're not going to get stuck in a rut. And I am famously a bad cook. <laughs> there is video evidence of There's this. There's video evidence of this. I recently did a live of making one of the HelloFresh recipes like that I've made a couple times before because once you get the kit, you can recreate some of your favorites. It's awesome. So I did the meatloaf balsamico, which <gasps> it's so good with you know the mashed potato, the, the mashed sweet potato, green beans. It's like a lovely, healthy, rounded meal with a starch, a vegetable, and a meat. And one of my favorite things about this is that, like, I love meatloaf, but I also always overcook my portions. Like, I make food that's too big for just me and my partner. Mm -hmm. And so what I love about this meatloaf recipe is that it's two individual, like, single portion little meatloafs that you make. They're mini loaves. They're little mini loaves. So, again, it way reduces the waste. It's reducing the space taken up in my fridge with leftovers that I'm, like, never gonna eat. 
It's just, HelloFresh is a miracle and I love it. They have such beautiful, like, in, like, I want to say complicated. They seem complicated recipes, but they're, they are so not intimidating when you right. sit down to make them. Ugh, we love them. Yes. So go to HelloFresh.com slash Gals16, that's G-A-L-S-1-6, and use code Gals16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. One more time, go to HelloFresh.com slash gal16 and use that code gal16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts and treat your cooking. Treat it. Are we ready for a very different case? Oh, yes. I guess. Yeah. What what choice do we have? <sighs> and now for something completely, completely different. different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mary Elizabeth Surratt, nay Jenkins, was born in either 1820 or 1823. What's a <laughs> what's a three year discrepancy? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. In Waterloo, Maryland, her mm. parents were Archibald and Elizabeth Ann, and she had two brothers, John Jenkins and James Jenkins. Da- <laughs> D- David Booter or whatever. <laughs> John David. John Booter David Booter from Dun Disappear. <laughs> Mary's father died when she was very young, and I already feel like I'm doing a dollop episode because the first three sentences of, like, any dollop episode, the parents die. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, And her mother inherited the property that her family lived on, and this land had once been part of a massive, like, 35,000-acre tobacco plantation Mm. called His Lordship's Kindness. Which is like total horror movie fodder. I don't like that at all. Hate that. Yeah. Of a tobacco plantation. Yeah. No. No. But the property had been subdivided and sold as smaller parcels, still tobacco farms, but just not one massive plantation after one of the owners fell into debt. So they're still growing tobacco, and Mary's family enslaved seven people. Mm hmm. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of enslaving in this. Great. It's Maryland in the mid-1800s. Right. So when Mary was a teenager, her mother enrolled her in a Catholic boarding school called the Academy for Young Ladies in Alexandria, Virginia, despite the fact that neither of her parents were Catholic. So that was a choice. And within (laughs) two years of enrolling in the school, Mary converted to Catholicism, and she was baptized with the new name Maria Eugenia. I'm still going to just call her Mary because that's annoying. Mm -hmm. And she would remain a devout Catholic for the rest of her life who still chose to enslave people. Mm -hmm. Also a choice. That is what Jesus would want. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she left the Academy for Young Ladies in 1839 after it shut down. She was either 16 or 19. (laughs) (laughs) This bitch. (laughs) And soon after, she met John Harrison Surratt. So Surratt had been orphaned as a child, but he was adopted by a wealthy landowning and enslaving couple named Richard and Sarah Neal. And they like fully, fully adopted him. And he stood to inherit an equal share as their biological children from their estate. Wow. I feel like that was not very common. It's like back if you were adopted, then, you took a back fucking seat. Yeah, back mm. then I think so too. Yeah, so that is interesting that that happened. Mm. Some historians have described his background as questionable 
And mm. he definitely fathered at least one child out of wedlock before meeting Mary and mm. settling down with her, although he did not settle down. But I feel like, you know, that was also par for the course back then. Sure. You know, men just fathered children and then the women. Sired. Yeah, the women that begot those children were Picked just. up the fucking pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, were just ruined and left abandoned. It's fine. <laughs> so the two married in 1840. Surratt even converted to Roman Catholicism before the wedding so that they could be married in a Catholic church, which is what Mary wanted. So that's pretty rare. Usually the woman converted back then. Mm -hmm. John purchased a mill property in Oxon Hill, Maryland, and the couple moved there. And they soon had three children, Isaac, Anna, and John Jr. But then John's adoptive parents fell ill and they died in quick succession. And they left the majority of their farm property to him. He and Mary and the kids moved to his childhood home because it was bigger and nicer and he had to take care of this farm. Mm -hmm. Soon, though, there was tension in the mm. marriage because you don't say John was drinking more and more and he also was like you know struggling to pay some debts I don't know if that's because he like sucked at farming or if it, it was because he was drinking and gambling I don't know Calumet, Maybe all of the above. yeah yeah and he was often violent towards Mary and the kids great so in 1851 the Neal farmhouse where they had been living burned to the ground. And actually, it's suspected that an escaped enslaved person was the one, was the arsonist. That'd be dope. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I hope so. No, Burn like, it the fuck down. That's like, you know, it can't be proven, but like that's canon, is the basically. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I like that theory. Mm-hmm. So let's just go with it. Yeah. And it fucking shows you how they treated the people mm-hmm. that they were enslaving. Mm-hmm. That someone took the risk after they had successfully escaped to come, come back. back and burn the motherfucker to the ground. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So these were not nice people. Jesus. After the fire, John found work for a railroad company and Mary took the kids to live with a relative of hers. She was like, fucking, do you just handle your shit? I'm done with you. So they're like separated, but she's super Catholic. So they're not like officially divorced. Soon he purchased another property where he planned to construct a tavern and an inn because it's always great when an alcoholic owns a tavern. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> he tried to persuade Mary to join him, but she refused. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm good. No, honey. No. Honey, no. <laughs> so then she tried to move back into some of this other property that they owned because she was sick of living with her sister. But then he had to sell that property to pay off his fucking debts. So then she had nowhere else to go. So then she had to move back in with him. She forced him to name the tavern Lachelle's and then <laughs> she moved in. Or I guess mm. Mary's. <laughs> that, that makes it sound like your marriage isn't great when actually it's oh idyllic. it's fine quite good. I didn't ask for that <laughs> so John was soon making enough money from running the tavern that he was able to build an addition onto it which he named Surratt's Hotel and then when they moved into this area there there wasn't really much there beforehand and suddenly there's a tavern and a hotel and it wasn't even like officially incorporated as a town yet and now they own the two most prominent businesses. So they just named it Surrattsville and made it a town. Okay. So was this poor planning or? 
No, it was good planning. I mean, it's just how life was back then. They were like, okay, we're well, I guess we're just going to create our own town and name mm-hmm. it after us. Oh, great. So John kept starting businesses. He really liked to start new businesses. He didn't like to run them. Great. Mm-hmm. I feel that. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> so soon he owned every business in town, but he had made, he had huge debts. Like he just mm-hmm. kept taking out loans, I think, and buying businesses and naming them after himself and then fucking them up. Right. Moving on. So they sent their kids to boarding school, but they're always in debt. He sells a lot of land. He sells people that they had enslaved uh, and people that he had like literally inherited mm. from his enslaver parents. Ew. And in 1858, Mary wrote a letter to her priest confessing that John was, quote, drunk every single day. Mm. And then Not came, good for owning businesses. No. And then came the Civil War. Oh, God. So Maryland actually remained part of the Union, but the Surratts, as enslavers, were Confederate sympathizers. That was my question. I would think Maryland is far enough north where it wasn't like a huge... I think it, I think it was kind of like Kentucky, where ideologically it was pretty split. Mm. But it mm. stayed in the Union. Okay. Or was it split in half? I don't know. Whatever. All you need to know is that their area is Union, but they're Confederate sympathizers. Gotcha. So their tavern and hotel became a safe haven for other Confederate sympathizers and was used as a safe house for Confederate spies. Okay. And then the Surratt children, who had grown up a little bit at this point, became involved in the war as well. So their son Isaac traveled to Texas and joined the Confederate Army. And John Jr. became a courier for the Confederate Secret Service, which was a job that entailed smuggling messages and resources back and forth across enemy lines. So he's like fully fucking spying. Mm-hmm. He's like Rolf. Mm. Rolf? Sound of music. Mm. Yeah. He wasn't undercover, but he was like delivering messages. Yeah. So the concentration of Confederate activity, though, in Surrattsville eventually drew the attention of the Union government like they weren't sneaky enough about it. And upon further investigation, they found evidence of a large Confederate courier network operating out of the town and they were fucking shut down. Wah, wah. And then in 1862, John suddenly died of a stroke. Oh, well. (laughs) He lived hard. Yep. So he left the family, unsurprisingly, with a financial nightmare, just a Mm. quagmire of unpaid debts, angry creditors, businesses that, like, she didn't even fucking know that they owned. Mm -hmm. He had sold off most of his inheritance already. Ugh. The whole thing. Normally, I love a quagmire, but this one just seems messy. Yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, I don't have any sympathy for her, and we will get to it. (laughs) This this quagmire seems especially messy. Yeah. I, yeah. Mm, mm. I'm going to take a back seat on this quag. I don't want to be mired in this quag. Right. No. I'm over this quag. This is not it. Mm-mm. So for a time, John Jr. supported the family with the income that he earned from his job as postmaster of Surrattsville, which he was mainly like his cover for being a spy. But then mm-hmm. they fucking found out that he was spying and they fired him. So then there's was no income front. coming in. <laughs> yeah, he was trying to Rolf, and he Rolfed too hard. You got to Rolf before you can run. Yeah, we've all, got- we've all Rolf. <laughs> Rolf the best. 
So tired of running the tavern and the inn on her own, and also at this point, most of the family's remaining enslaved people had fucking bounced because they were in Union territory. And while they weren't technically emancipated yet for another two years, they still were like, I see a chance to get the fuck out of here. And like, you suck and we're leaving. Uh-huh. So she's dealing with the creditors. Uh, she doesn't have any help. And she's sick of it. So she leaves Surrattsville and moves to their townhouse in Washington, D.C., which was like the last property that they still owned. And she leases out the tavern to a policeman and a fellow like Confederate. And she places an ad in a D.C. newspaper that she's renting out rooms in the townhouse that she's moving to to make income. So she's becoming like a landlady. In November of 1864, a man named Louis J. Weichman moved into one of those D.C. rooms that she's renting out. And he is an old friend of her son's from boarding school. And he's also a Confederate agent, spy, whatever. So the whole townhouse very quickly becomes another, like, Confederate spy ring safe house. Okay. And this group, of which John Wilkes Booth, ever heard of him? (gasps) Oh, no. Would become the most well-known member, would have numerous meetings at the townhouse, and they that is part of where they hatched their elaborate and very stupid plot to attempt to kidnap President Abraham Lincoln. Oh, God. So, like... Today's term, like Gavin McGinnis would have been in this boarding house. And- yeah, it's it's like the Proud Boys Clubhouse. Ish. Joe Rogan and whatever. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> so she is Marjorie Taylor Greene. This Ew, one. God. Yeah, and she's fighting the gazpacho. Mm-hmm. Gaspacho. Um, <laughs> she met Gestapo and she oh, no. said Gaspacho. I know. And then, um, oh my God. What a fucking idiot. <laughs> What's his name? Stabler, the actor played Elliot Stabler. On, oh, on yeah, 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 yeah. He had a really funny tweet about it with where the he butt. said, he's, yeah, with the hot butt, with the cake. Senior hot butt. With the cake. <laughs> <laughs> he said something about Senior cake plate. <laughs> He said something about it's the DC jail isn't the DC gulag, it's the DC goulash. Yes. <laughs> I love it. Love. I'm sorry. If That's you're going to be good. so publicly stupid, don't be that publicly stupid. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. You can be as dumb you as you want sh- if you're not in the that public dumb. eye. You can't mm-hmm. make this shit up. Oh my God. Anyway. Gaspacho. so good (laughs) so holy shit that's dumb (laughs) holy shit okay so that is dumb they're they're cooking up this plot in the townhouse to kidnap the president and part of the plot john jr along with two other conspirators hid weapons ammunition and other supplies at the tavern in Surrattsville. So she still owns the tavern, but she's not running it day to day. Okay. But this attempt was a failure. And in response to the failure, the group escalated their plan from kidnapping to murder. So basically, mm-hmm. they couldn't fucking make it work. So then they decided to try even harder. It'd be quicker and easier to just kill him. So Booth wanted to kill Lincoln himself and eventually would. And the plan was for him to do so while 
one of these other conspirators killed the vice president, Andrew Johnson, and another member of the group killed the secretary of state, William Seward, all at the same time. So they wanted it to be this coordinated attack. Yeah, like a like like a insurrection of sorts. Yeah. <laughs> it's like sounding a little familiar. Wouldn't you know? But they, they weren't pets. all at like the theater, right? No, that's why it would have to be like coordinated. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, like that terrible TV show where they blow up the Capitol. Mm. Designated survivor. Anyway. Mm. Booth, as we know, actually carried out his portion of the plan on the evening of April 14th, 1865. Mm-hmm. He's that member of the group project that who actually does all the work. <laughs> Horrible, but yeah. Um, that was me. I know. It was me too. You were the John Wilkes Booth of um, your friend group. <laughs> Is that what you're fucking horrible. saying? Is that what you're saying right now? Amanda I mean, I was guess. the entertainment. <laughs> Amanda, we all know which role Amanda played in I was group down on stage with no clue what was going on. <laughs> Someone had to execute. Someone had to present. Definitely in the theater, but I was not part of it. <laughs> so, oh, the, no. And I was there completely by accident. <laughs> I stumbled upon it. So, you were in search of more popcorn. I didn't even know I had an assignment. today? Yeah. I did not even know I had an assignment. Oh, shit. I knew I was forgetting something. Popcorn falling out of your mouth. Wait, that was today? Wait. It's like your donut picture from my bachelor party. Thousand percent. Can we get a discount on our ballet? (laughs) She's getting married. (laughs) The donut. The donut series photos are so good. And they're so good. We've posted them before, but we'll post them again. Okay. (laughs) My favorite photo of Amanda. We'll post them again. By far. I don't give a fuck. I got no shame. So (laughs) beautiful. But that is my favorite photo. So anyway. Okay. You guys, this photo is shocking. It's also on our it's on our Patreon if you want to check it out. It's so good. I love just the series zoomed in. The zooming in on your mouth. Okay, 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 okay. So like a cartoon from like Bobby's world. I hit my head on my microphone. (laughs) God damn it. Okay. 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 So the other members of this group project did not pull their weight. And Classic. one of them uh, never even attempted to assassinate the vice Classic. president. I literally just spit <laughs> all over <laughs> So that was Amanda. And then the other Amanda one. Amanda was the stoner <laughs> who showed up for the first time in a month and was like, wait, what presentation? What class is this? <laughs> oh, I'm in this class? <laughs> Just, oh, shit. You know what? <laughs> Give me the note cards. I got it. I got it. <laughs> oh, fuck it. We'll do it live. Yeah. And then guess what? Got an A. Yeah, exactly. You were never <laughs> punished for it. <laughs> okay, uh, so then the third one tried really hard to kill the Secretary of State. Enter the Kenyan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He attacked and stabbed Seward repeatedly, but failed to kill him. 
Jesus. Which I didn't know about any of this other stuff. Did you? I just thought no. it was John Wilkes Booth. Kind I of figured solo. Lone Wolf. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize it was a whole class a project. Yeah. yeah. I did not know it was a class project either. So neither only- did that other guy either. No. I, <laughs> I did not. We did not get the memo. <laughs> Take you gotta a memo, read the syllabus. <laughs> Did not read the syllabus. Okay, so only a few hours after shooting Lincoln, police arrived at the Surratt boarding house, having been tipped off that it was the center of this Confederate activity. And the conspirators had already fled, but Mary was still there where she fucking lived. And she lied to the detectives, telling them that her son, John Jr., had been in Canada for two weeks and, and like, she didn't know anything and he couldn't have been involved. Two days later, federal soldiers arrived to search the townhouse and they didn't find John Jr., but in Mary's room, they discovered a picture of John Wilkes Booth hidden behind another photograph as, which is like, why? Why like, did we do, why did we do this? <laughs> yeah. What is the fucking point? As well as Maybe a picture. Maybe she had a crush on him. Yeah. Kept okay. his little lithograph back there. Like, literally, sure. yeah. yeah. She's wanking off. <laughs> yeah. My God. Um, jerk-off box. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> as well as pictures of Jefferson Davis and other Confederate leaders. So she had her little inspo box. <laughs> she was kinky. Her magazine cuttings of her Ew. favorites. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Also in her room, they discovered a pistol and a mold for making bullets. Like, literally nothing has changed. This is Mm-mm. just the ghost guns of today. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as Mary was being taken into custody for conspiracy to assassinate Lincoln, Lewis Powell, the one who had attempted to kill the Secretary of State and stabbed him a bunch but didn't actually kill him, mm-hmm. arrived. So Mary claims she didn't know him as he rocked up to her house. <laughs> I don't know this guy. <laughs> She's literally being arrested. Yeah, I don't claim him. He <laughs> <laughs> rocked up to her house. <laughs> then, nobody had cell phones. They couldn't be like, obviously. <laughs> so, Powell, the that guy. Claimed that he'd been hired as a ditch digger. He's like, I'm here to do some landscaping. He just starts digging in the middle of the something. I'm the gardener. <laughs> in the middle of the fucking yard, like, don't mind me. <laughs> hired to work here. All is well. This is the most botched. <laughs> yeah. Plan. Yeah. The cops are like, it's 11 p.m. <laughs> You're On wearing a, a top hat. Like, <laughs> sir. But the authorities were suspicious and they arrested him as well. <laughs> you oh, don't say. <laughs> so eventually, eight people in total were arrested for the conspiracy to assassinate Lincoln. John Jr. Like Got Lincoln, etc. It wasn't yeah. just Lincoln, right? At all, right? Lincoln, at all? The whole government, the top brass. My God, most of the cabinet. <laughs> John Act John Jr. had actually successfully fled to Canada and then later to Europe, so he successfully got out of Dodge. Wow. Bye bye. <laughs> 
So the trial for the co-conspirators was in front of a military tribunal, and it began on May 9th, 1865. Surat, Mary, was charged with abetting, aiding, concealing, counseling, and harboring her co-defendants. Like in alphabetical one. order, that's serious. <laughs> <laughs> you know they mean business when they alphabetize your charges. Harboring and ziplining her co-defendants. <laughs> Much of the evidence against her hinged on that guy, Powell, rocking up at really the wrong time after having <laughs> just like, attempted to kill the Secretary of State. Why do I imagine Powell as the QAnon shaman? <laughs> totally. In this, in this retelling. Like the least inconspicuous outfit. He shows up in that outfit to be gar- the gardener at the... <laughs> He's just howling. Don't mind me. God, that guy is so Knife fucking in hand. obnoxious. So fucking pathetic. I uh, hate these uh, people. I'm, I'm here to grade your lawn. <laughs> I am supposed to install a French drain. Oh, I have those. I hear your great. Sump They're pump great. Isn't working properly. Love your a French gutters drain. Gutters are looking a little. I'll take care of that. Don't mind me. What? I'll be. I'll be Who in and out. Was Who are you? It's I did. I hadn't heard. <laughs> Uh, he's just topless with big <laughs> horns. Blouseless. Blouseless. Okay. So also evidence against her was that she'd made two trips to Surrattsville to collect debts. So she was like going back and forth between Surrattsville, which they knew was like a Confederate hub, and then her own tavern. They fucking, they knew what mm-hmm. she was yeah. doing. So on her first trip, she told John Lloyd, quote, get the shooting irons ready. Oh, God. What does that even mean? Are those guns? Which was a reference to weapons and ammunition that had been hidden at the tavern. So she was telling him, like, it's on. Like, this is about to stop. You know, we're about to go. Oh, God. And on the second trip, which occurred on the day of the assassination, she delivered a package to Lloyd that John Wilkes Booth had given her. And it contained a pair of binoculars. (laughs) Helpful. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> These were his opera glasses. Yo. <laughs> so this Lloyd guy was also arrested in connection with the conspiracy, but he wasn't charged because he fucking sang like a canary and became a big witness for the prosecution. Good boy. <laughs> so the defense attempted to show that Mary was loyal to the union and that her trips to Surrattsville were part of were like innocent and that she hadn't been aware of Booth's plans and he was just like randomly staying there it was her town (laughs) well yeah (laughs) to be fair yeah yeah it wasn't just the fact that she went there that was the problem it was everything else and also like you have his lithograph hidden in your bedroom in your ma'am spank bank ish his (laughs) his his sensual lithograph is hidden in your spank bank god Mary's daughter, Anna, testified for the defense and denied ever overhearing any discussions of any disloyal activities. And she claimed that uh, even though Booth came to the house all the time, his visits were always short. Mm. (laughs) I bet. Okay. He's so, like, hey, they weren't that short. <laughs> <laughs> I always lasted at least six minutes. Yeah, six my, to ten. My six meetings, to ten. my clandestine meetings. 
were at least six minutes long. We cuddled. <laughs> you said you didn't like foreplay. Yeah. <laughs> you told me to get to it. You were busy. <laughs> Don't blame if anyone me. says they don't like you foreplay, you're you just really like bad at it. Foreplay. Yeah, you're bad at it. They don't want it from you. <laughs> <laughs> they don't want your play. You said you didn't like foreplay. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> four days of the trial so she was given permission to stay in her cell rather than be present like in the courtroom she had I should have no no oh no oh god oh god she was sick with debilitating <sighs> menstrual cramps oh been there been <laughs> every there. track meet ever ever <laughs> like she never showed up for Jim. It's like, girl, same. And that is valid. I, It is. So I it's should not super laugh. super valid. But, but also a really convenient but, excuse, but, too. Right, but when you're on trial for assassinating the president, it's, it's pretty funny. I can't go to Jim or my assassination trial. I have cramps. Oh my god! I so, can't run the mile. I the can't mile. run the mile. I have cramps. So ultimately, the military tribunal found her guilty of all charges except for two. She was. I think she got off on the zip lining, and she was sentenced to death. And she was the first woman to okay. receive. The death sentence from the U.S. federal government. There, now we got there. We got there. Okay. Wow. However, five of the nine judges who handed down her sentence signed a letter asking President Johnson to give her clemency and commute her sentence to life in prison because of her age and sex. Maybe she was like, just fucking kill me. These cramps are awful. (laughs) I can't do this. (laughs) Also, like it's it's gotta suck when you're asking for clemency from the guy that you were just convicted of trying to kill. Yeah, um, awkward. <laughs> so Johnson would later claim that he never received the letter. Cle- clemency, who? Must have got lost in the mail. I don't know. That's so weird. Weirdest thing. So he reportedly stated as he signed her execution order, quote, she kept the nest that hatched the egg. Oh, Oh, that's cold. In the days leading up to her execution, Surratt repeatedly insisted on her innocence. She spent the final night of her life in her cell with her daughter, Anna, and two Catholic priests. So she was allowed like these visitors. Around 8 a.m. on the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. It's not like it's too soon. Jesus. No, I mean, this bitch, we can make fun of her. She's trying to fucking kill the president. We're good. I just. Sleepover. Oh my God. Let's play MASH. So, which priest do you want? (laughs) 
There's one for each of us. Mary, fuck, kill. <laughs> Light as a feather. Mary, as fuck, a bar. kill, Lincoln, Johnson, and Seward. They have those little paper. <laughs> I requested pizza rolls for my last meal. I know everybody loves them. <laughs> With ranch. Oh, my God. I married John Wilkes Booth. Fuck Abe Lincoln. <laughs> Whatever. We just Lincoln. helped somebody ace their, like, American history fucking yeah. final, okay? You're welcome. Oh, my God. Okay. So, <laughs> so Anna's screams of grief as her mother is being led away could be heard oh, throughout no. the prison. Blah, blah, blah. blah, blah. blah. Oh, no. <laughs> that whole thing. Fuck her. Bye-bye-bye. I feel Ba-ba-boy. sorry for the daughter, but that's about it. So she was scheduled to be executed by hanging alongside those two co-conspirators that I told you about, Lewis Powell and George Atzerote, and then also another guy, David Harold. There are a lot of names. We couldn't get to all of it. John David Booter. Jingleheimer Schmidt. <laughs> <laughs> Before Powell was hanged, he said, quote, Mrs. Surratt is innocent. She doesn't deserve to die with the rest of us. Turns out she does. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> Surratt's last words, which she spoke to a guard as he moved her into place for her hanging. And like, there are photos and we'll have to discuss if, if we can. Yeah. If we can. Are put, they on the drive? If we can put these on the blog. But there are Whoa. photos of her being led on the scaffold. Oh. And she's basically wrapped up. Yeah. Like she's got like a hood. Her arms are tied behind her back and her legs are tied together. She's like in a straight jacket almost. Yeah. It's her gown, I think. Yeah. It's like her big black gown. She's way tied up more than they are. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's pretty gruesome. That is creepy. Yeah. It's way creepy. The umbrella photo is creepy too. Yeah. Yeah. So her last words, speaking to the guard where she's got this hood on and she's all wrapped up, were, please don't let me fall. Oh, this picture is them dangling. Yeah. Yeah. But also, like, that's the point. Well, right. So after her mother's death, Anna Surratt moved out of the townhouse, which was, like, (laughs) torn apart by souvenir seekers. People Mm. just, like, broke in and started taking shit from it. Oh, shit. And she was, like, ostracized from society and basically, like, couch surfed for a while. (laughs) (laughs) She spent a few months in Italy. Oh, my God. (laughs) And the stress of, this is sad, but the stress of her mother's arrest and execution left Anna mentally unbalanced. And throughout the rest of her life, she suffered from, quote, periods of extreme fear that bordered on insanity. Yeah, I mean, that's a bummer. Like, yeah, that really sucks. I don't, I I wish, I wish this fucking lady's child hadn't gotten swept up in how yeah. horrible this I don't know out. how old Anna was when all this happened. I th- she was definitely at least a teenager. Right. Possibly she was early affected 20s. by this. Yeah. Right. But like, yeah, who knows? She's, st- yeah. There's no evidence that she was like actively taking part in all of this. Mm-hmm. She probably lied on the stand, but like, whatever. But also like growing up around 
all of these like conspiracies mm-hmm. might sort of like really jostle your idea of like security and what is true and what is not true. So I can mm-hmm. see why that would really fuck her up. Yeah, you know? and she has no protector anymore. Her dad was a bum and then he died. Her mom was yeah. the first woman to be executed. Mm-hmm. And she's like a household name. Mm-hmm. And her eldest brother peace the fuck out and is on the run in Europe. Like, mm-hmm. that's not easy. Yeah. No. So eventually John Jr. was arrested and extradited back to the U.S. and he stood trial in a civilian court, which failed to reach a verdict in his case. And Dang. the charges were dismissed and he married and had kids and and then, um, you know, lived near Anna and, and became more a part of her life. Some historians believe that Mary Surratt was kind of convicted in place of her son and that if he had turned himself in, they might have gone easier on her. Hmm. You know, like if John Jr. hadn't fled because of like patriarchy, they could have been like he was the one forcing her to let them have these Mm. meetings at her townhouse. So they took they took it out a little bit on her because they couldn't on him. I think she had agency and I think it was fair and she was involved mm-hmm. completely. But like she probably could have gotten off mm-hmm. if he had been there to take the fall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, literally. Mary Surratt's boarding house is still standing and wow. was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 2009. And there's a photo of it on the drive. Ooh. Yeah. Just like a wow. pretty D.C. building. <laughs> With, like, a very creepy small child in front of it. Yeah, what the fuck is with that baby? I don't know. What's going on with this baby? (laughs) What's going on with this baby? The fuck is going on with that baby? Ew. (laughs) That is really fucking unsettling. Yeah. (laughs) What? The sunken (laughs) eyes. So that's my case. No. Nice. Wait, but the case of this baby. I don't know. (laughs) I don't have info on the baby. No info. Okay, but the baby looks like a like a digitally shrunken down full man. It looks like yeah, yeah, it looks like its proportions are unsettling. The proportions are really off. No sense. I know it's tiny soldier man. It's like fucking with my brain. I hate it. I have to close this picture. Well, I have to anyway, because I have to do my case. But holy oh shit, God. that kid. <laughs> Taking yeah. a picture and making it my background. No! <laughs> so anyway, yeah. First woman to be executed by the U.S. federal government. Nice! Wow. That was that, interesting. That story was epic. I love it when you do historical cases, which is like always, but I and always And then we love can't it. follow them, so we have to create a narrative that we can relate to, <laughs> we meaning me, and then it just goes fully fucking off the rails. Yeah. It's my favorite. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, good job. Oh, All my right. God. Our social media manager and producer, Andrea, just texted me saying Marjorie Taylor Green called police the Gestapo or Gaspacho instead of the Gestapo. <laughs> we know. We know. I'm it's letting her best. know. We'll get to it. Well, let's take a quick break for some ads, why don't we? I love it. <laughs> what would you do if you didn't have high interest loans or credit card debt? What wouldn't I do? Right? Sleep through the night? For one. Well, with Upstart, you can pay off your existing debt quickly and easily and start living your life. Start sleeping through the night. Yes. 
Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan, and it's all done online. So whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment with a clear payoff date. Speaking of sleeping well at night, you know when this is going to be paid off. Mm-hmm. Rather than looking at credit score alone, Upstart considers other factors like your income, your current employment, and credit history to find you a smarter rate for your loan. You can check your rate without impacting your credit score in just minutes for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. Who could not use a chunk of cash right now? (laughs) $50,000. Yes, Oh, my God. You can even receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. So what are you waiting for? I love it. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash gals. That's upstart.com slash gals. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Upstart.com slash gals and treat your debts. Trade up. Emails, laundry, groceries, cooking, cleaning, litter boxes. The list goes on. Yeah. There is a lot that's on your to-do list. But what really should be at the top? The answer is you, honey. Mm -hmm. It's you. So this year, put yourself first with the help of Dipsy. Dipsy is a pleasure fountain. (laughs) Big fan. Dipsy Stories is an app full of sexy audio stories. And now they even have brand new written stories. Love the written stories. Yeah, I like to read quietly before bed. And this has opened a whole new world. (laughs) No matter who you're into or what turns you on, Dipsy helps bring the stories to life anytime, anywhere. Close your eyes and let yourself get lost in a world where only good things happen and pleasure is your only priority. Explore your fantasies in a safe, shame-free way. I just love this so much Mm -hmm. and there are hundreds of stories to choose from and they release new content every week so there's always more to explore it doesn't get stale you can really like find out what you're into and they also have wellness sessions to help you wind down and explore and sleep sessions to help you drift off they really just have changed the game of self-care that is self-care baby Mm -hmm. So for listeners of this show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash gals. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash G-A-L-S. One more time, that's dipsystories.com slash gals and treat your well-being. Treat it. So we're well into the new year now, and maybe some of our resolutions are kind of dropping to the wayside. Have I gone for a walk every day this year? No, (laughs) absolutely not. It's too cold. Oh, I've come up with every excuse in the book, trust me. (laughs) But one resolution that I made that is so easy to stick to, there's really no excuse not to, is being more hydrated. So there's no better way to kick off 2022 or to keep keep kicking that can down the 2022 road mm-hmm. than by making sure you're feeling like your best self. Honestly, Liquid IV has changed my game. You know I don't like to drink water, okay? I'm saying it. It's out there. I like a flavor. I like 
you know, if, if it's bad for you, I probably like it. I would drink like five cups of coffee and then be like, well, you use water to make coffee. So. But you need I'm, the flavor. You need something dynamic. Boring is not for you. No, it's not. And I have a bunch of different like packs of liquid IV now, so I can kind of switch it up. They make different ones if you're focusing on like energy and they make really good flavors like the lemon lime is one of my favorites and I actually yeah. got I actually got one of the liquid IV water bottles so I don't even have to think about like oh is this actually 16 ounces like how much water am I supposed to put in this because it's the perfect water bottle for filling it putting in your liquid IV give it a little shake and the water bottle keeps it nice and cold I'm obsessed and one stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates faster and more efficiently than water alone which also makes the water just work harder for you without you having to chug it in massive amounts all day. So it contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. It has three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks. It's made with premium ingredients. It's non-GMO, completely gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free. It's amazing. And it's so effective because of the science of cellular transport technology. So this is designed to enhance rapid absorption of water and other key ingredients into the bloodstream. So one stick of liquid IV in 16 ounces of water, like I said, hydrates faster and more efficiently the water all by itself. And one of my absolute favorite things about this company in general is that liquid IV is on a mission to change the world. Water is not necessarily super accessible to everyone. And so making sure that water can go as far as possible in keeping you healthy and hydrated is part of their mission. So they have donated over 19 million servings globally. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's incredible. Work smarter, not harder. People. Exactly. So grab Liquid IV in bulk nationwide at Costco, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use our code WINECRIME at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you use promo code WINECRIME at liquidiv.com. Experience better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code WINECRIME, and treat your hydration. Treat it. So are you ready for my case? Maybe. <laughs> Possibly. It, it all circles back. <laughs> There's no murder necessarily. Okay. Or government overthrow necessarily. Okay. But there's aviation, so there's you've a, alluded. There's a fuck ton of aviation. Because today, I'm going to be reliving my childhood history report dreams with more swears and theories. Because I'm talking about our girl, Amelia Earhart, the Ooh. first woman to fly over the Atlantic Ocean nice. alone. Wow. Nice. Solo. Nice, nice. So, uh, Amelia is spicy. I'm excited about this. Amelia was born on July 24th, uh, 1897, 18 years before the year of our Helen. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that puts it into perspective. It really sure does. does. <laughs> okay. In Atchison, Kansas. You said Kansas. You said Kansas. Kansas. Is that right? Kenyon <laughs> screaming on the phone with an automated phone Tanzania. line trying to <laughs> activate like her credit card to work in Tanzania. You said Kansas. <laughs> Is that right? No. Literally Tanzania! Over. <laughs> over and over again, you said Kansas. Is that right? <laughs> I was 
losing it. You said Kansas. Kansas. Is that right? I've never seen Kenyon more angry. It was so fucking funny. It was so fucking funny. Okay, anyway. So Amelia was a fearless kid and defied gender roles from the beginning. She loved working on cars, playing basketball, and even enrolled in college, which in the early 1900s was not common for women and girls. She served as a Red Cross nurse aide, nurse's aide in Toronto, Canada during World War I, and this was where she fell in love with aviation. She would watch pilots in the Royal Flying Corps training in Toronto and was fascinated. She returned to the U.S. after the war and enrolled at Columbia University's pre-med program with the hopes of becoming a doctor. But after taking her first airplane ride in California in December of 1920. Yeah, she there was, was this l- guy, Pletch. He was really Yeah, funny. it was <laughs> the weirdest thing. She got a, a golden ticket from Mr. Pletch. My first aviation instructor. Never looked back. Such a professional. Oh. Perpletional. Perpletional. I mean, we'll get to her I aviation was perpletched. Expe- instructor. I was perpletched. <laughs> So she took this first flight and then she was like, this is it. I'm so in love with aviation. This is all I want to do. She said, quote, by the time I had got two or three hundred feet off the ground, I knew I had to fly. By January of 1921, she had started flying lessons with Netta Snook or it might be Nita because I think her full name is Anita, but she went by Nita who is a pioneer female aviator who is also responsible for a fuck ton of firsts. So we've got blended firsts here. Okay. The instructor Nita was the first woman aviator in Iowa. First woman student accepted at the Curtis Flying School in Virginia. First woman to run a commercial airfield. First woman to run her own aviation business. And that's the business that Amelia used to take her lessons. I... This is amazing. Imagine being so smart and talented that you're like mechanical, mm-hmm. you know, brained. And then you also like could be a doctor and get into great schools. And then you and also like business minded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Could entrepreneur. Be a, entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. And also a fucking what? pilot. Amazing. Yeah. She's kind of badass. So Amelia purchased her first airplane the same year and named the little yellow plane the Canary. She passed her flight test by the end of 1921 and almost immediately started setting records. So she, Amelia Earhart, passed her flight test and started setting records when my grandmother was six. Oh, my God. Christ. I kept like (laughs) my brain kept like hurting as I was writing these notes. (laughs) Oh, my God. And the way, like the way that we learned about Amelia Earhart is that this was like a million fucking years ago. I mean, that's like one of the huge problems with history taught in schools i i it's just it's all hitting me all yeah. always <laughs> yeah. it's always gonna hit me so in 1922 she became the first woman to fly solo above 14,000 feet in 1932 she became the first woman and second person ever to fly solo across the atlantic the first one was Lindbergh, the Lindbergh baby specifically mm-hmm. just kidding Fa- fascist <laughs> Lindbergh, mm-hmm. the Lindbergh fascist And upon her return was awarded with the Distinguished Flying Cross from the U.S. Congress and was the first woman to receive that honor. That same year, she made the first solo trip across the United States as a woman and the person, the first person to fly solo from Hawaii to the mainland in the United States in 1935. So I think someone else flew to the island in Hawaii and she returned from the island to the U.S. And the first person, not just the first woman. Yep, correct. Wow. Wow. That'd mm-hmm. be so scary. First of all, Hawaii is so fucking far away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is so dark at night. There's not much in between. 
There, that would be terrifying. Yeah, mm-hmm. but if you love it, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. Um, you can listen so, to podcasts. Yes, you could if it weren't <laughs> 1933 <laughs> or 35. But yes, so I'm saying it would be horrible. I know. I also wanted the tea on Amelia's love life, so I dove into that a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She was extremely private about her romantic life, which makes a lot of sense as, like, a woman trailblazer, obvi. Like, it's still a problem now. All you'll see of these people's accomplishments is, like, their mm-hmm. sexual prowess. Mm-hmm. But I still want it, because I'm American, <laughs> so I went for it. <laughs> so she married George P. Putnam, an American writer and publisher, in 1931. It was a bit of a scandal because George was divorced and rumor had it he'd left his first wife for Amelia. But in reality, George's first wife, Dorothy, had left him when she traveled to South America in 1927 and had an affair with a man 20 years younger than her, which like you go, girl. I and feel just like this was never like came back. Such like a scandalous time. People mm-hmm. were really just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm out. A lot of like heirs and heiresses and like mm-hmm. adultery and like yeah. oh my fifth husband and yeah yeah and so much is shrouded in like speculation and just round robin storytelling because we didn't have social media or like anything to get it necessarily firsthand mm-hmm. it was also really easy to poison people during uh-huh. this time. Oh, the good old days but mm-hmm. this was like pretty well documented that she left went to south america and had started an affair and never came home Became but, a cougar. Good yeah, for her. I, which, like, good, fucking good for her. But it was kind of scandalous because, like, the rumor mill was that George had left his wife for Amelia. Mm-hmm. But that's not actually what happened. Mm-hmm. But I think that George, and I'll kind of get to it, was, like, a little bit of a feminist. Because he didn't, like, put up a fight about people thinking that. He was like, fuck it. I'm not going to talk shit about my ex-wife. Like, mm-hmm. if she's happy in South America with her, like, young hot hunk that she is now with great i'm gonna just like sign off on this divorce and move on with my life and i'm not gonna like fuel the fucking rumor mill rumor mill yeah exactly and also like get with this woman who is so independent and has such a name Mm -hmm. for her on her own and he was like supportive and we'll we'll get to it i was like okay george okay hi so okay so these two were married uh amelia and george and this is from wikipedia quote Earhart's ideas on marriage were liberal for the time, as she believed in equal responsibilities for both breadwinners and pointedly kept her own surname. All right. GP, as she called him, so George Putnam, she called him GP. Gwyneth Paltrow. Gwyneth Paltrow. Goop. Mm-hmm. Goop, as she called him, <laughs> soon learned that he would be called Mr. Earhart. Fuck and he yeah. just, like, didn't give a shit. He was like, cool, yeah, my wife's fucking badass. Yeah. At least from what I could see. I didn't dive too deeply into him. Maybe he was, like, really annoyed about it, but I didn't see anything to that effect on his little pages I went to. So I'm just going to cling to this illusion. Anyway, George worked hard almost as like her manager. He'd set up tours and appearances, speaking engagements and like get her paid with his vast publishing contracts. Cause he was like well-known in New York. He's well-known fucking everywhere. He's connected. I mean, like a power couple. Putnam yeah. Press is still a major Literally, publisher. yes. Yeah. And that's like, that's his family. Like, mm-hmm. that's him. So though these two didn't have children, George had two, I think it was sons. Yeah, two sons with his previous wife, Dorothy, and Amelia loved them dearly and treated them as her own. 
In a later published letter from Amelia to George right before they got married in 1931, many Amelia fans now wonder if she was even more progressive in her views of marriage than we thought. Mm. Here is the letter. I can't wait to hear your thoughts. It is pure spice and I fucking love it. So I'm going to read it and we are going to pause after every short paragraph to just make sure we're on the same page about what this bitch means. Okay. <laughs> it needs to be clear. Okay. Quote, there are some things which should be writ before we are married. Things we have talked over before, most of them. You must know again my reluctance to marry. My feelings that I shatter thereby chances in work, which means most to me. I feel the move just now as foolish as anything I could do. I know there may be compensations, but I but have no heart to look ahead. Okay, she's not a great writer. No, but I love but it. But she's got a but million other time. skills. So and she's a million like, other skills. <laughs> a million other skills. She doesn't want to get married because she wants to focus on her job. She's yeah. very ambitious. Mm-hmm. She's goal-oriented. And I love that she's like, I hear there are benefits to marriage, but I'm not seeing them in my future. Yeah, like, I don't fucking like, know. I'm really not super <laughs> on board, and I just want to get that in writing. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So that's how it starts. Okay. Second paragraph. On our life together, I want you to understand I shall not hold you to any medieval code of faithfulness to me, nor shall I consider myself bound to you similarly. Ooh. If we can be honest, I think the difficulties which arise may be best avoided should you or I become interested deeply or in passing in anyone else. Open marriage. Yes. She's gay. She's gay. You think? That's Maybe. what I get from this. She's gay. I Maybe. don't know if she's necessarily gay, but she might be like, you know, sexuality is a spectrum. I wouldn't be surprised if Amelia Earhart like ate incredible pussy and also <laughs> fucking rode incredible dick. I yeah. give her all of she's the range. She's good at everything. But yeah. I just but love also, that. There, I feel like there weren't that many like straight out, I'm a full lesbian because mm. they'd probably have to like marry a guy for any reason. You know, oh, like, I'm sure in 1931, then, yeah, if she were gay, she's fucking not saying shit about it. Right. But I think this is as, this is as, this is as outwardly gay that you could say to your husband. I, like, I, you I do like, you, I'll do me. I don't want to assume her sexuality. Right. And so no, I'm, I'm not, just... I've, this is what this this is just my interpretation of this. Right. I yeah. think it's unquestionably she wants an open marriage. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's the key point. Her sexuality is irrelevant. Yeah. And I'm not going to speculate in that in that capacity. I don't care who she's fucking, but right. she's like I, and I also love that it's like I'm about to marry you and your wife, your former wife left you for another man. Let's just get something out of the way if we're going to do this. Right. And we mm-hmm. need to we need to step out. That's all right. Let's mm-hmm. just p- not worry about it. And mm-hmm. you will be our no- each other's number one. Mm-hmm. Like we're just going to be the number one and do our thing. Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, fuck yes. Next paragraph. Please do not let us interfere with the other's work or play. Not let the world see our private joys or disagreements. In this connection, I may have to keep some place where I can go to be myself now and then. A room of Thank God. For I cannot guarantee to endure at all times the confinements of even an attractive cage. Uh... These should have been my marriage vows. I want these to be my fucking (laughs) vows. They're so beautiful. I'm like, yes, get your own space, get your cottage, get your room, your she shed, 
Yeah. Your shed. Get, get what you need. Your airplane hanger. Yeah. Yes, 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 wow. yes, yes. Wow. For I cannot agree to endure at all times the confinements of even an attractive cage. Like even yeah. though we're going to get the most beautiful house ever because right. you're from like a powerhouse publishing family. Right. It's, I, I, I still need my own need space. my fucking space. Yeah. Yep. I'm obsessed. Okay, this is the last line. I must exact a cruel promise, and that is if you will let me go in a year if we find no happiness together. So she's like, I want to give this a year-long trial and then fucking cut it loose if we hate each other after a year. I will try to do my best in every way and give you that part of me you know and seem to want. Okay, now I I know we're not speculating on people's sexuality. Mm -hmm. But But if we were... This paragraph is bringing me over into the Lucy camp. It kind of makes you wonder. I've read a couple of articles about her being gay in the past with like yeah. like Eleanor Roosevelt or something. They were like yeah. be- they were like besties. Mm-hmm. They like they like left a party at the White House and like went joyriding in her airplane and it was like kind of like naughty. Erotic. Not suggesting so that she Earhart was a lover ate, of ate up Eleanor Roosevelt. Ate out well, Eleanor, Eleanor Roosevelt. Absolutely did have sex with women oh yeah they yeah. were in the mile high club together and i love that theory that, another i that just canon. think that there was another a i think that there was like presidents there was like a <laughs> there was like a group of like high class queer ladies during this time in this area and she I'm was here for definitely it. in it i'm here for Amer- amelia Earhart being a queer icon like, mm-hmm. fucking yeah. here for it. I mean, to me, this paragraph reads as they haven't had sex yet. Mm-hmm. She's going to give it a go, but yep. she's not making any promises. And if she hates it or if he's Let her, bad cut at her sex, loose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One year and she's out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, a thousand percent. And yeah. like, I mean, maybe I'm just simping for George Putnam a little bit, but like there's a picture of them on the drive, George what? and Amelia. What does simping mean? Like, like shipping or like uh, inappropriate together inappropriately like lusting like people simp for serial killers and shit like it's not it's like problematic sympathizing yeah like problematic like sexual attraction attraction kind of oh okay is is it problematic does he end up being bad i mean i'll finish the sentence and it will circle back. So, oh, but like, cute there's a picture of them on the drive where George is like taking Amelia's arm, and yeah. I just feel like he, like I said, he's like a subtle feminist of his time, and they had this like hot, trusting, open queer marriage, maybe. Mm-hmm. But also, I, I assume that he and like, frankly, likely Amelia were probs deeply problematic because they're like white people from the 1930s. So I'm sure yeah. I'm just like clinging to an illusion. But I am definitely painting a picture of this like powerhouse. Now, definitely on the queer spectrum, couple. Mm-hmm. They're uh, cute in this little picture. And maybe they're, they're super just cute. like, they're just best friends, partners, yeah. occasionally lovers, maybe. Everything's a spectrum, but you can see they like each other. Marriage only has to be what you fucking make it. Yeah. yeah. And if he, he clearly agreed to this because they got married. She wasn't forced to marry him. She was very clear. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of here for it. So they didn't split up after a year, and he ended up her widower after what she is most known for, her historic first woman-piloted flight around the world that ended in a tragedy shrouded in mystery. Okay, so I always used to, I never, like, 
kept it straight in my mind. So she successfully completed the flight across the Atlantic and this Hawaii flight. And that's why she was such a household name. And then later... She yep. was trying to do around the world and disappear. Yeah, and not that much later. It was like okay. in, ni- we'll get to it. It's in 1937. Like she's, in 35, she completed that Hawaii trip back to the U.S. It was yeah. the first person to She, she proved her that. shit before yeah, then, she disappeared. And then two years later, she's like, I'm teaming up with fucking Fred Noonan or whatever his name is. I'll, I'll, I have it written down here. And we're like, we're doing this. We're going around the world in an airplane. Got it. Because there are like some men's rights asshats. Who have said like, why are we? Why do we care about Amelia Earhart just because she like couldn't fly a plane, like blah blah blah? But um, yeah, like fuck you, she dude. She could fly a fully plane. Fully flew planes a and lot also, better than a, any other man. Yeah, fuck that. And if if we'll get to it, but like if men's rights activists need to shut the fuck up, the the one of the theories about this crash is that they like got off course and her navigator was a dude. So whose fucking fault was Great. that? Love it. So, according to History.com, Amelia and her navigator, Fred Noonan, took off on June 1st, 1937 from Oakland, California to Miami, Florida. From there, they flew from Miami to South America, then across the Atlantic to Africa. Then to, and she had already flown across the Atlantic at that point, so she's yeah. familiar with this. Then from Africa to India and, the, and Southeast Asia, and they safely reached the, it's like a, coastal town of Ley in Papua New Guinea in on June 29th of 1937. So Holy they're like fucking shit. Okay. They, so they made did it from most California of it. to Papua New Guinea. Yeah. And wow. they at this in point just a few weeks in just a few weeks. <laughs> and at this point they had completed 22,000 miles of their trip and only had 7,000 miles to go before returning to the starting point in Oakland. So they were like fucking almost done. Yeah. It's so sad. They rested in Ley and left on July 2nd for a refueling stop on Howland Island, which is teeny, 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 tiny. And leaving Ley would be the last time Amelia was seen alive. The two disappeared, lost all contact with the Coast Guard, and were never heard from again. A search for their craft or any signs of life was launched by FDR, the, so basically Amelia's lover's husband. <laughs> <laughs> that went on for several weeks before Amelia and Fred were declared lost at sea. There are a lot of theories as to what happened to Amelia and Fred, so let's discuss. A popular theory is that the two never actually found Howland Island and ran out of gas while trying to search for their refueling stop, and the air sh- aircraft sank and the remains were never found. Now, it's clear that they didn't make it to the island because nobody ever saw them on the island. So, like, all of these theories are she left Papua New Guinea and disappeared. They didn't. But they didn't make it to the fueling stop. Leaving Papua New Guinea. Correct. And yeah. going in the direction of Howland Island. Okay. To reach this fueling stop. So there's no chance that they just were like, "Let's chill in Papua New Guinea." No, they didn't stay there. This was a pretty popular theory that just like crash sank middle of the ocean. We can't find anything. But it's also becoming less likely because the advancement of technology has allowed us to search these areas extensively over the last few decades. Like. People are still searching now for the fucking answer to what the fuck happened to Amelia and Fred. Yeah. So they're using super, super upgraded technology like 
deep sea robots, deep sea high-tech sonar. We've all seen Titanic. Oh, I mean, we'll get to the Titanic because that actually is relevant here. But they Um, also never found that Malaysian flight that went down and they know like pretty much exactly where that went down. I know. It's The ocean is fucking nuts. The ocean ocean is is fucking nuts. Vast and deep. And we have not explored nearly all of it. But in the areas that they're looking, at least, they're able to like scan the ocean floor, like the sea floor for mm-hmm. wreckage with a pretty damn big radius around Howland Island. And they have not found a speck of evidence of this wreck. That's wild. It's so wild. So maybe so, they got so far off course. Maybe. And, you know, there's there's more. So TIGAR, or the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, mm. Also believes that Amelia and Fred didn't make it to Howland Island and instead crashed near Gardner Island, about 350 miles southwest of Howland, ha- Howland Island. I always want to say Howard, but it's I got to tell my brain that's not right. This tell island, <laughs> tell my brain. Gardner Island is now called Nikumaroro and is located in the Republic of Kiribati. But at the time, it was completely uninhabited, and I don't think it's very inhabited now. But it's mm-hmm. like at least accessible Mm -hmm. on one of the search and recovery flights in the weeks after their disappearance it was reported that signs of quote habitation were seen on the uninhabited island but no signs of an airplane or wreckage nearby leading some to believe that the plane went down offshore and they washed up on this island and survived for an unknown period of time before dying (gasps) oh my god God. i love this theory it this is actually to me, it's and most experts, this is the most plausible. And we will, there's no, and two it, there's months a lot. into being on the island. She's writing to Fred in the sand, going, mm-hmm. I look, I I'm don't gay. believe in monogamy. I'm I gay. gotta go. <laughs> I know that we're washed up on this desert island, but I gotta be me. I still need my own space. Even the most beautiful cage, <laughs> she constructs her own she shed on the island. I mean, seashells. God, this poor woman. I can't. She shall shed. Yep. So expeditions to this island have turned up some compelling evidence to support this theory, including a piece of plexiglass that could have come from their plane, but can't be confirmed. There's photos of the plexiglass on the on the drive. Um, a woman's shoe dating back to the 1930s. Some improvised tools. A woman's cosmetics jar dating back to the 1930s. And a smattering of human bones. Oh. Now, I wonder if this was just like wash up debris of unknown right. origin or even of Amelia and Fred. Right, but still only just washed up and they weren't actually physically on the island. Yes. Oh. And we don't have access to DNA testing and mm-hmm. we don't have access to these bones now, even if we could procure like familial DNA. Right. But, like, you can't even necessarily extract DNA from just bones a hundred years later, almost. You know what I mean? Like, we're just kind of fucked on this. But so it could have been washed up debris of unknown origin because if they survived and then died on the island, even if they were picked away by animals, I feel like more bones would be recovered if two full humans died on this island Mm -hmm. and they got like 13 bones. Mm -hmm. But it's also like exposed to the elements Rain, one of them could have died and they could have... That's what I'm saying. Maybe Amelia survived the crash. Or like maybe Amelia survived the crash and made it to the island and and he didn't. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, and that would account for only one set of... Yeah, and like one set of bones. Searches have continued up until like COVID. 
like people were actively out there looking until it was basically like, okay, we can't spend money on this right now, but we will. How do you get that as your job? Yo, I don't know, but I want it. Cadaver dogs were brought there in 2017 and found nothing. And the same guy who found the Titanic was hired to look in 2019 and found no, no like plane wreckage in that area. But the skeletal remains recovered have been studied numerous times and seem to keep pointing to Amelia. So this is from NPR. Quote, Richard Jantz, a professor emeritus mm-hmm. yes. of anthropology and director emeritus of the University of Tennessee's Forensic Anthropology Center, took a closer look at data gathered in 1940 from skeletal remains recovered by a British expedition in Nikumaroro. The British found a human skull, humeri, and radii, both arm bones. You are a- nailing these pronunciations. Apparently, a little bit of Canadian whiskey <laughs> helps. <laughs> a tibia and fibula from the lower leg, and two femurs, aka thigh bones, which are connected to the to the hip, hip bone. The bones were sent to Fiji, where they were examined and measured by physician D. W. Hoodless. But the bones themselves are long gone. After Hoodless examined them and determined them to be from a stocky European male, they disappeared. Hmm. What? The the assumption is that either he or someone else in Fiji discarded them, and Jance, working with the International Group for Historic Aircraft Recovery, Tiger, Tigar, which has been big into Earhart research for years, ran the measurements taken by Hoodless 80 years ago through forensics uh, quote, computer program for estimating sex, ancestry, and stature from skeletal measurements. So he's just using the report yeah, information. He's just using the written down numbers because the bones yep. themselves are long gone. Right. So someone and, just and fucking threw them away. Great. I mean, yeah, I don't or know. Or took them home. Or took, yeah, they could exist somewhere. That would be really fucked up. I'd rather they be tossed out accidentally than someone mm-hmm. hoarding them all this time. Ugh. Anyway. So he ran those through this program in Knoxville. The analysis, quote, found that Hoodless had incorrectly determined the sex of the remains, which, like, it was 1940. Of course he mm-hmm. fucking did. Four disc is what this uh, program is called, co-created by Jans. It's used by nearly every board-certified forensic anthropologist in the United States and around the world. So it's, like, accurate. Mm-hmm. It's not, like, bogus science. Like, running it through this program is fucking legit. Legit. So the... If this program is saying that the bones are probably female, mm-hmm. it's probably right. I'm going to trust this program over that one fucking dude that lost that, the that, bones anyway. Yeah, that male doctor in 1940 who lost the fucking bones. Yeah. Not having it. Sorry, so this Right. This concludes by saying the data revealed that the bones have more similarity to Earhart than 99% of individuals in a large reference sample. Whoa. So like... It's fucking her on so that wasn't island. So was a stocky European male? No, it was just a normal-sized woman. Jesus. Which I'm sure this guy, this doctor, just, like, couldn't wrap his head around. Like, they couldn't be a woman's bones. <laughs> anyway. Who knows? This, this was also a tumultuous political time between two world wars, and there were ample racially charged theories about the two being captured and executed by the Japanese. So this is from National Geographic, quote, eyewitnesses claimed to have seen Earhart in a prison camp in Saipan, but physical evidence supporting their testimony is scarce. So some theories state that the two were actually spies for the Roosevelt administration and had to fake their disappearance and live elsewhere with new identities for their safety Mm -hmm. after being captured by the Japanese. Honestly, if Amelia was a fucking spy, I want to know how she find the goddamn time. She's way too famous. 
She's so busy. She's so famous. She's way too famous to have become a spy with a different identity. I mean, right. She loves that flying kind of planes. Like face recognition in 1937. Yeah. Like, she's nah. on the cover of so many newspapers around the world at that right. point. That's it, exactly. But if they did crash land near the Marshall Islands, which would have been in the vicinity of the Howland Island, and the Marshall Islands at the time were under Japanese control, and they could have been captured under suspicion of being American spies. Like, it's not implausible. Mm-hmm. This is also from National Geographic. Quote, it was also a little bit early, though. It was 1935. It, was. it wasn't like we were... We weren't, like, in it with we the Japanese. We weren't, like, at war with the Japanese no. yet. Yeah. No, we were not. We were not. It was just, like, leading up yeah. to a similar time. I think this is far-fetched, personally. But pe- theory's gonna theory. Right. This says, quote, if she couldn't find... Howland Island, plan B was to cut off communications and head for the Marshall Islands and ditch her airplane there, says Rollin C. Reinek, a retired U.S. Air Force colonel who lives in Kailua, Hawaii. And he made this claim in 2003. This is him saying, like, well, if she was a spy, I know. Like, I was in the Air Force, so Mm -hmm. here's what I think. I really don't know. My my favorite and seemingly most scientific and plausible theory is the desert, deserted island theory. Mm-hmm. I clearly also know nothing about geography because I have been walking around my whole life assuming they were sucked into the Bermuda Triangle. Right, which apparently that's not even remotely <laughs> where they were. Not it's even Not close. even a little bit close. I thought that it's too. It's the other side of the world. I definitely also thought that Amelia Earhart disappeared in the Bermuda Triangle. Thousand percent. You take I a started... pencil and go straight through the earth. It's closer to the Bermuda Triangle than where they were. I was more than two-thirds of the way finish with my notes before I went, wait, where's the Bermuda Triangle theory? I and then I started Googling close to Bermuda. I started I Googling Amelia Earhart Bermuda Triangle. Nothing was making sense. <laughs> no. And then I was like, I'm going to Google on Google Maps, where is the Bermuda Triangle? And then I just went, oh, oh, I think it's God. near Bermuda. Oh. I've been lied to my whole life. <laughs> I have no idea what the fuck I'm talking about. Clearly. <laughs> Come on, baby mama. Right? (laughs) I can't. Anyway. Wow. That's that's my case. I mean, I just, I mean, she's fascinating. I just never really like, I haven't dived into this story since literally grade school. We were like learning about Amelia Earhart. And clearly I didn't talk about whether she was like secretly a queer icon or (laughs) (laughs) like stepping out on her husband. So I love this. Yeah. Either way, she had very cool views on marriage yeah mm-hmm. here for nice it work that was a good deep dive into yeah. that and thank you loved it yeah well really good topic fan picker ashlyn mm-hmm. fantastic this this was fun we had fun we have fun yes. here mm-hmm. we have fun here at wine and crime mm-hmm. yeah we do all right well thanks for listening and we'll see you next week bye-bye Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcast. 
podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers. Cheers.